Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. What's Wagner's rule of life number four? Nothing good happens outside a strip club at 2 o'clock in the morning. I'm sorry, I understand I might be like a dog with a bone on this, but this is just fundamentally wrong. It is an insult, but let's tee this up. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 414-799-1620. I'm sorry, I think this is absolutely ridiculous. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. So, Eric Bilstead, I have a message to send out to the people that pick up garbage at my house. Tomorrow, I think, is garbage day. Okay. The message is, it's not all mine. <laughs> now, and, and here, 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 now here, here is the deal. So, th- this is the, the Memorial Day weekend. Oh, yeah. My wife... My wife is into entertaining. Now, yesterday we did some more traditional, like Memorial Day stuff. But okay, Friday evening, she has a number of friends, and they're my friends too, but th- that have birthdays in May. So we had a bunch of people over on uh, maybe maybe ten people over on Friday okay. night for okay that. Then Saturday, um, my wife has a large comes from a large family, and she has a, a bunch of nieces and nephews that hadn't been over to see the house and and their kids and stuff. So Saturday. We had a bunch of people over, probably around 20 people over Saturday for a cookout. A lot of fun. Sunday, my wife, who is one of seven sisters, one of the sisters, um, their their son is getting married in July, so they were having a, a wedding shower for the bride. So we being my wife, but at our house, hosted the, the wedding shower. So there were like 25 people mm-hmm. there. So you've got parties Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And so I'm kind of looking around at stuff, and I have come to one conclusion about all the folks we had over our house were wonderful people, but mm-hmm. God, they can drink. <laughs> That's always the case. I, I, I mean, it, it's like I, I'm looking I'm looking in the, the recycle thing that it is full, and there's there's beer bottles, and there's empty wine bottles, and there's a gin bottle, and mm-hmm. there's you know all this stuff. I'm thinking, my God, how much liquor did we go through? And it and it's and it, and it's just all fine. But I'm thinking, man, that garbage truck is going to come by tomorrow, and oh, that's the Wagner's place. <laughs> yeah. Look at this; it's going to be you know, whoa, whoa, what's what's going on there? So I, now, and I, I freely admit that I probably contributed oh, my course, share to it. So I mean, I'm not being holier now about it, but it's like, oh my God, you know, three days of these these parties, one after another after another. And like I said yesterday, a little bit more of a traditional Memorial Day, but it was mm-hmm. kind of like, oh, oh, okay. Hey, I, at one point in time, my wife said, yeah, I had to give my sister the credit card and send her over to the store and say, buy five more bottles of wine. And it's like, wow, okay. Some serious celebrating going on. That's well, great. you know, it, it's, you know every, it, everybody was in a good mood and stuff yeah. like that, and that's fine. But I was looking at the aftermath thinking, huh, when they turn, and we have one of those deals where it's it's a truck. You put the, the cart out, and then the truck comes flips by and, flips it, and, and yeah. flips it over. And I have no doubt that when that recyclable thing gets flipped over, there's going to be bottles and stuff and on, <laughs> right? And it's oh, going to be, oh, huh, must have been big doings at the Wagner household. Well, maybe a little. Hey, if you follow me on Twitter, I was emulating the president. Went on a Twitter storm this morning. I've been a little bad over the last couple days and not updating the Twitter account. But there are several, several new tweets, including some of the things that we're going to be doing today. You can follow me at Jeff Wagner 620. One of the tweets, though, I sent out, this is, um, it's why I love, 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 love Chick-fil-A. And it's in addition to making great chicken sandwiches, 
Uh, Chick-fil-A, of course, that the people that, that own it, they are a company that stands by their belief. They get some crap from time to time for doing that, but they refuse to be backed down by the forces of political correctness. So there's an interesting piece out, um, and I sent a link to it. But this Memorial Day weekend, what various Chick-fil-A restaurants across the country did is they left one seat empty. Why did they leave one seat empty? Well, we've talked about this on this program before. There are these things called missing man tables, which are memorials set up in military dining facilities to honor dead, missing, or imprisoned service members, and they're full of symbolic items and colors. We've talked about this. matter of fact, we talked about it a couple weeks ago in conjunction with a controversy because one of the items at the table as part of the ceremony is, wait for it, it's a Bible. And some people are offended that you would put the Bible on this table. Oh, how dare you do something like that? Well, at Chick-fil-A restaurants all across the country this weekend, they recreated the missing man table. And, you know, they have the explanation for it. They've got a text for the thing that is said. And you know what? They included, yes, wait for it. They included the Bible as well. And I'm thinking, you know, you know that they're, again, going to get some heat for doing this. You know that there's going to be some people who are offended. But the folks that own that company, they just don't care. And they've decided, you know, we're going to do something that we believe in. We are going to do the right thing. As I have always said, for the people that get upset that the Bible is included in this missing table ceremony, you desperately, desperately need to get a life. But if you want to see... Um, the whole description of the ceremony, there's a couple stories about this, and again, it explains why tables were empty at Chick-fil-A's around the country this weekend. I've got a link to a story, and you can follow me and get that link. It's at Jeff Wagner 620. Um, uh, it's Again, it's one of the reasons, in addition to great chicken sandwiches, why I love Chick-fil-A. In addition, a number of links to stories that we are going to talk about, and let's get right into it. One of the um, sad stories from the weekend is uh, Wisconsin sports legend and overall really decent guy. Bart Starr passed away at the age of 85. Mr. Starr had been sick for a a number of years, although there were some reports that he was perhaps getting better and maybe even contemplating another return to Green Bay. But he'd been sick for a number of years, passed away at the age of 85. This is, of course... Well, if you consider some of the Packers from the glory years who've passed away just in the last year, Forrest Gregg, um, Jim Taylor, Bob Skaronsky, um, or Bob Skaronsky, all, all of whom passed away, now now Bart Starr, perhaps the most prominent of, of that group. But the, the Packers from the glory days, they're, they're passing away because of age. The Journal Sentinel has a very, very interesting story. And I, all weekend, we've been talking about, you've been hearing the reports of Bart Starr and everybody talking about what a wonderful, wonderful man Bart Starr was, how giving and caring he was. Um, almost everybody who's lived here um, for any length of time has a Bart Starr story. Run into Bart Starr. Yeah, we saw him in a restaurant. We saw him here. We saw him there. And, and almost everybody talks about what a wonderful, caring, just what a good person he 
was. Always took time to be, you know, supportive of the fans, et cetera, et cetera. And of course, you know, Bart Starr was the quarterback of arguably some of the greatest football teams in NFL history, all originating out of the small town of Green Bay. So there's no question that he was a great guy. There's also no question that he left a significant impact on the, you know, Wisconsin sports world. So the Journal Sentinel has a list of different players or coaches or just prominent sports figures. And the the question is, you know, who is the most iconic Wisconsin sports figure ever? Was it, in fact, Bart Starr? And if it wasn't Bart Starr, who would it be? Who is the coach, the player, the executive, that when you think about Wisconsin sports now and in the past, jumps out to you? Our number, 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Bart Starr, clearly, I, I think one of the top 10 all-time Wisconsin sports icons. But who would you say is number one? 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. The Journal Sentinel has a list of top 15 Wisconsin sports icons ranked alphabetically. All right, to honor the passing of certainly one of them, maybe the greatest, Bart Starr, who would you say is at the top of your list? The person that when you think Wisconsin sports, they they just immediately come to mind. Let's start with Mike and Exonia. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. Uh, terrible uh, news over the weekend here about Bart Starr, obviously. Uh, but it was, a li- it was a life well lived. There's no question about it. <laughs> definitely, definitely. Uh, but I'm going to switch gears to go uh, with uh, my boyhood hero, either Robin Yount or Bob Uecker. Mm-hmm. Um, spending all his, you know, 1920 season with one team is just something you don't see nowadays. Yep. Yep, yep, yep. And, and, and Bob Euchre, you know, I, you know, it, it's interesting. If you had just asked me the same question that I asked you, I got to tell you, those are, are probably, probably two of the people that come to mind, you know, first. Now, Euchre admittedly wasn't the, you know, wasn't the, the great player that a Robin Yount or someone was or a Bart Starr was. But Euchre, I mean, is, is there anybody that is tied and linked to Wisconsin sports more than Bob Euchre. You say Bob Euchre, and you think, oh, Milwaukee Brewers, and you think that, you know, since he's been doing it forever. Yeah, definitely, especially with the exposure and the poorest one deep in the playoffs. Yeah. All those broadcasters brought Euchre up to the booth. Yep, I mean, I think, no, thanks for call. I, I, I think Euchre would definitely be in that category, and Robin Yount as well. I, I emceed this event two weeks ago, and Euchre was giving Yount an award, and, and actually, I tell you, they both looked really good. Both looked really good. 414-799-1620, Jim in Milwaukee. Jim, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Yeah, hi. I uh, have to say a tie between Hank Aaron and Vince Lombardi. Yeah, yeah, yep. I mean, when you think... I mean, you can't think of the the Packers during the glory years without thinking of of Vince Lombardi. There's just just no question about it. Even though he wasn't a guy that was from Wisconsin and probably was only here for, what, the better part of a decade, he had just an indelible impression. And, of course, Hank Aaron, um, what an ambassador for baseball, um, who continues to be an ambassador for baseball and for this area. Yeah. Yeah. No, 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 thanks, guy. I can't argue with, with either 
either one of those. Um, you know, Lombardi always comes to mind, and I think people really forget. I mean, Lombardi was an East Coast guy, and you know, he he ended up coming here. And you, when you want to think about the impact he had over. A comparatively small uh, sample. I mean, it's a comparatively small, you know, number of, of years, given the fact that you know he, he passed away at, at such an early age. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Mark in Kenosha. Mark, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Yeah, hi, Jeff. Hi, Mark. Hey, uh, I, I'm sixty two, so I've had a lot of years to, to be involved. In. Bar Star is such a great choice. The only other two I had thought of were ones I just heard you mention: Hank Aaron and Robin Young. I mean, they're great choices. But I still fall back to Bart. I mean, what a man. Right. Did you ever have a chance to meet him? I didn't meet him. My uncle used to take me to many of the games when we lived up in North right. Wisconsin. Never got to meet him personally, no. Right, right. No, thank, thanks for the call. No, there's, um, no, right, no, I, I think that there's, uh, you know, I, I mean, Bart Starr, the, the thing that I think, you know, really distinguished and, and connected Bart Starr with, with the, the general population is he was, he was so very accessible and, um, you know, he was so devoted to the community and ended up, you know, doing, you know, so many things. And, of course, Star played at a time when when athletes were well compensated. But it wasn't like it is today where you have somebody that, that plays football or baseball or, you know, basketball for a couple of years at, at a high level and makes enough money that they don't have to work for the rest of their life. I mean, that that wasn't Bart Starr. And, you know, he had a number of different enterprises, and, and you saw him out and about in the community. And, I mean, he was just always just so accessible. And you look at his charity work, whether it was Rawhide Boyd's Ranch or whatever, 414-799-1620, when you think Wisconsin sports, you know, who who is the most iconic figure? Tim and Clinton. Tim, you're on WTMJ. Yeah, hey, thanks for taking my call. Hi, Tim. Um, to me, it's it's hard. I think Vince Lombardi or uh, or Hank Aaron, but I, I'm sitting here thinking about it. I, I'd have to say, as far as iconic, would have to be Vince Lombardi. Yeah, yeah. Just because he was such he was such a mythical figure, you know, in in many respects, all that accomplishment, all that success in a relatively short period of time, and then you know his unfortunate passing as well. So you you know you, you don't know would he have been able to recreate that success after he left the Packers with Washington or not? All you know is you have this legacy of incredible success during that that window of time when he was here. Yeah, and and you know, I mean, the Lombardi Trophy obviously named after him, and. Uh, right. Like you said, you don't know. I mean, he went to Washington, I think, for some personal gain as far as maybe even politics and his yeah. future. And, uh, you know, who knows? Uh, but I, I have to say that when you think of Wisconsin sports, to me, it's Vince yeah, Lombardi. Vince comes Lombardi. To the forefront. Yeah, no, th- thanks for calling. You, c- you, cannot, you cannot argue with that. Now, the Journal Sentinels list has a couple that they say Kareem Abdul Jabbar, and he. I, I mean, he certainly was prominent during the this, the years he was here, but you know, he went on to have a long career in California. And at least my recollection is, those years he was here, he really wasn't like an ambassador for the city or stuff. I, I think he spent some time trying to get out. And I'm I'm not downplaying his success. I, I just I'm not sure I'd put him there. They've got Giannis on there. You know, I, I think it's a little soon for that. But clearly, you know, if you look at the trajectory of his career. Um, ten years from now, we could certainly be having a different conversation. They include Bonnie Blair, no argument there, Ron Dane, um, Eddie Matthews, and, of course, Vince Lombardi, Bo Ryan, Paul Molitor. Again, I, I think, unlike Robin Yount, I think the fact that 
Paul Molitor decided to leave Wisconsin, and no, no criticism, he decided to leave Wisconsin, you know, um, to, to make more money in free agency. I think that probably perhaps tainted him in many respects. Uh, Aaron Rodgers, you know, maybe. I guess it's perhaps a little bit soon to have that. Um, Al McGuire, yeah, and I, you know, certainly if you're a Marquette basketball fan, you think of Al McGuire. Let's talk to Chris in New Berlin. Chris, you're on WTMJ. Uh, a couple others are up there like John McLaughlin, but oh. stars number one. I had a chance to meet him in his office uh, as his receptionist, and he was going to autograph things. $30 is the fee. It has to be appropriate, not baseball, but a football jersey, all good. Does not take cash, does not take credit cards, checks only, mailed directly to his charity. Oh, wow. time <laughs> of it. I came down there, she went and got him. He came in, immediately points to the receptionist. His office manager says, I couldn't do a thing in this office if it weren't for her <laughs> running this place. <laughs> he immediately defers to the office manager as the go-to person. <laughs> yeah. First thing out of his mouth. Uh, talked for 45 minutes, and he would have kept going just because we were just chatting oh. until I had to pull up to an end. He had no agenda, just happy to talk. So I, I, I mean, I love the idea. Only checks and only checks made out to the charity. I love that. And I, I, I made a trip down there because there's about three or four people in the world I want to meet just because I feel like I'm a better person just for having shook their hand. Yeah. No, one of them. no I think thanks no, no arguments there. You know, the contrast to that, I'm not going to name names. But I was, I was a number of years ago, I was at a place and it was one of these former Packers legends who was signing autographs. And in contrast to your story where, you know, the, he wanted the check made out to the charity, it, it was no credit cards, no checks. It was only cash. And I was watching this cash go in the bucket. And I, I remember, and this is me being cynical, I remember thinking, huh. I wonder how much of that cash that goes in the bucket gets declared and reported to the IRS. So, and that that was not Bart Starr at all. Let's talk to Margaret in East Troy. Hi, Margaret. You're on WTMJ. Hi. Um, I know he's not iconic, but I always think about Barry Alvarez from Wisconsin. Yep. Well, I, a, I I don't know. I mean, I think Wisconsin guy, you know. Well, and and you want to talk about? I mean, I don't know that I wouldn't. I I think some a lot of people would view him perhaps as one of the iconic leaders. Um, I mean, I remember what the Wisconsin football program was like before yep. Barry Alvarez came yep. around, yep. and you know his He's years so as a football there, coach. You know? Yeah. Oh, the football coach, and then as as athletic director. I mean, no, yep. I. Uh, th- yep. There's no question he is one of the preeminent Wisconsin sports figures. I mean, maybe he doesn't get the notoriety, the attention of a Vince Lombardi or a Hank right. Aaron, That's but right. but no, there's there's no question. No, thanks for the call. He he certainly had a, a large role in in shaping you know Wisconsin sports. All of those just absolutely great choices. Bottom line is, I think it's kind of fun to think back on that, and and when you think back on the life and times and the career of Bart Starr, like I say, everybody has a a story and. There, you know, you want to talk about somebody who was universally beloved. That was Bart Starr, and it's clearly an example of a life very, very well lived. This is Jeff Wagner. Back for more. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. So very glad to have you with us. I've got a link to this story if you follow me on Twitter. It's at Jeff Wagner six twenty. I've got a link to this story. You can see some of the pictures I'm going to be able to. I'm going to describe. But let me just start off. I think a lot of this heartburn over cultural appropriation is a bunch of horse hockey. Uh, let, let me explain this latest story. There is a high school out, kind of, I think, in the San Diego area. So, I mean, a good portion of the students are Hispanic. 
All right. I mean, it's, you know, because that's representative of the community. You have a number of foreign languages that are taught at the high school, including like half a dozen teachers who teach Spanish. At the beginning of the year, now keep this in perspective, at the beginning of the year, the foreign language teachers apparently get together and decide that they are going to have their identification, their ID badge pictures, they're going to have them taken wearing kind of traditional garb representative of the language they teach. So the five or six teachers who teach Spanish all pose wearing ponchos, red and white sombreros, and holding up thick, fake mustaches on their faces. Um, the, the name badge identifies them as either senor or senora. All right, it's kind of like, hey, you know, we're, we're teaching Spanish, etc., etc. Now, these are the badges that are taken, th- these pictures are taken at the beginning of the year. So they've got these ID badges, and they're wearing them all year. All right, no problem at all. Now, it's not just the Spanish teachers that do this, but it's the other teachers as well. For example, there is a teacher who teaches French. For her photo, she poses in a full French-style costume, complete with a beret, with gloves, with sunglasses, okay? I mean, she's, again, she's posing in what would be, what you would think of is this is the, she's the, the French madame. And her, you know, her picture, just like the Spanish teachers say either senor or senora, her picture, for example, says madame, all right? Because she's teaching French, and she's in the beret, and she's in the sunglasses, and she's in the, in the, um, with the gloves. Well, th- these pictures, again, they're on their ID photos, and they, they go through the whole year. There's no problem at all with this, right? Then the high school yearbook comes out, and the high school yearbook, you know, they got faculty pictures, and they have the photographs of the these teachers dressed again in the ponchos and the sombreros. They've got the picture of the French teacher who's again with the gloves and the beret and stuff like that. So they put them in the yearbook. Okay, well, no problem until one of the parents sees this and becomes incredibly offended by this. And then, you know, sends off the text saying, oh, this is just terrible here. You know, this is cultural appropriation. It doesn't matter what their intent was. This is just awful. And, you know, I am offended by this. At which point in time, the school immediately says, oh, my God, we're, we're so we're so sorry about this. And the principal issues a statement saying cultural appropriation is offensive, whether it was intentional or not. We owe an apology to our Latino and Chicano community, a community that I am part of. It is unacceptable and has no place in our school. I am saddened and disappointed this happened. We will use it as an opportunity to learn and grow together. Our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, interestingly, a large number of the students, including a large number of Hispanic students, they're, they're, they didn't say any, they're, they're not offended by this at all. They're saying, hey, you know, this, this is, this is sort of the, you know, this traditional kind of get up and stuff like that. We didn't take this personally. They had this on all year. Nobody was offended by this. So let's tee this up. Is this political correctness run amok? That you have the Spanish teachers, you know, they are teaching Spanish and they dress in, again, 
They dress in the serapis. They dress in the poncho. They dress in the sombrero. I mean, should people have been offended by this? Is it reasonable for people to have been offended by this? And if you're offended by this, should we have been offended by the French teacher putting on the beret? Nobody said anything about that. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Look, I'm sorry. I understand there's real racism in this world, but this cultural appropriation stuff, this idea that, oh, how dare you? How dare you decide that you're going to wear the serape or you're going to wear the sombrero? That has to be intended as an insult. And if somebody takes it as an insult, well, we're going to fall all over ourselves to apologize regardless of the intent. I think that's ridiculous. And I think it's time that people need to start standing and pushing back towards these folks who get offended by stuff that really no offense is meant and no reasonable person would be offended by. 414-799-1620, were the teachers out of line and where do you draw the line? If the Spanish teachers were out of line, was the French teacher out of line for cultural appropriation? 414-799-1620, we discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. All right, let me share, before we go to calls, let me share a couple emails. Jeff, this is ridiculous. Go ahead and be offended, but being offended doesn't make you right. The way things are going and being politically correct, being offended means everybody else doesn't get to have an opinion and has to fall in line with what you say. All right, here's another text. Jeff. I guess if it was up to you, all teachers would dress in blackface on Martin Luther King Day or during Black History Month. Just because it doesn't offend you, it still may offend others. Well, okay, I guess that's the question. You know, what? where is does the level of offense come in? Is, is a Spanish teacher wearing a sombrero and a serape, is that the equivalent of wearing blackface? Now, I would argue most reasonable people would say, of course it isn't, but... Obviously, not everybody out there is a reasonable person. Jeff, do they also boycott Cinco de Mayo celebrations? Never attend any festivals at Summerfest grounds? Uh, let's see. Jeff, you're right. Political correctness definitely running amok. I am a Mexican-American. I think it's great that the teachers are going to this level to teach these kids of different cultures. Well, 414-799-1620. Let's start with Caroline in Milwaukee. You're on WTMJ. Hello. Hello. Um so my thought is that it's with the mustaches, it kind of took it over the top into the buffoonery side versus the actual cultural appreciation because the French teacher is trying to look all stylish with the typical fashionable French look. And because not every Mexican person or Latino person wears a mustache. So that is where I think that kind of, especially when you, you said it was a thicker mustache. Yeah. That just makes it more clownish, which is, I think, would be offensive to many people, versus the appreciation of the hard work and, like, the sombrero and, you know, there are some beautiful dresses that the Latino women wear. So, I mean, I can see how it can be offensive, but, again, it's more of the cultural appreciation versus appropriation. Mm -hmm. If it were if it if it weren't for the mustaches, if it was just they they're wearing the sombreros and the serapes or the ponchos, would 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 you think that would be appropriate? Um, if all the other teachers are wearing costumes that represent the languages and they yeah. teach, then of course, yeah. I mean, it's like saying, as I was telling your producer, it's like saying, you know, all Italians are Sicilian mafia. I mean, right. Know. Right. No, I, I, yeah, no, I un- understood. Okay. Thanks, Nicole. Well, I guess I, I mean, I, I understand. And, I, but there, 
see, they're trying to have. I think they're trying to have some fun with this. That that's that's my sense. Like I'm looking at the picture of right now. I'm I'm looking at and it's world language faculty. I, I'm looking at the picture of the the French teacher, for example, and I mean clearly. It's a caricature. I mean, she's, she's, you know, got the beret. She's got the sunglasses. It kind of, I mean, think Audrey Hepburn. I know Audrey Hepburn's not French, but I mean, think Audrey Hepburn, you know, back in, in glory days that you've got the, at, at breakfast at Tiffany's, you know, you've got the pearls, you've got the, the gloves and stuff. It's clearly a, it's, it's, in some respects, it's a stereotype, but I get the idea that they're, they're trying to have a little bit of fun with it. And I guess that's the, that's the question. And what really gets my attention is you, you've got these people who are like, well, if anybody's offended, we have to be concerned about this without any regard for, you know, really what the intent of this was. And interestingly enough, like I say, this, this appears to be a minority opinion in the, the school district, including among the Hispanic students, because most of the students didn't take it and weren't offended. This is like one parent that is 414-799-1620. Scott in Milwaukee. Scott, you're on WTMJ. Yeah, this almost falls into the category of ridiculous uh, to actually have this happen where um, you're going to, yeah, somewhat stereotype the individuals. And maybe this is somewhat undignified for the teachers to themselves do this. Um, does, Does that mean teachers that are white should be wearing a badge showing jambalaya or gumbo that, uh, you know, we're mixed? Um, and I think, you know, part of this, what you're touching on is very correct. I agree with many of your opinions that, you know, people sometimes just need to move on, get a life. And, uh, you know, if, if they want to do this, maybe a little bit more discussion before the trigger is pulled on it or they go with it. But, uh, yeah, it's much to do about nothing. Well, and, I guess, uh, and, and thanks, I say that that's kind of where I come to, because I'm, I'm, I'm trying to think about, you know, and, and again, I'm giving the example of the French teacher, you know, if you have... If you have the the teachers that are teaching German, for example, who you know are decked out in some of the traditional you know German guard, is Leidenhosen German? I'm going to say Leidenhosen is German. I could be. It is. Gru is saying it is. Okay, you know, I mean, if if they're dressed out in that, you know, are are we supposed to be offended by that? Is it only? Is it only certain, um, you know, groups that get to be offended? Okay, well, you can't wear the sombrero and the serape, but it, it's okay to wear the beret, or it's okay if you're the German teacher to wear the traditional German garb. And and look, do I understand that this could be done in a fashion that is intended to be cartoonish and is intended to be stereotypical and is intended to be racist? Well, well, yeah, I I I can. I can understand how, in certain contexts, that could, in fact, be the case. But it it doesn't strike me that this is the case. The other thing that I think is so interesting about this story is these teachers wore these badges all year. These were their identification photos that were taken at the beginning of the year, and it wasn't an issue. They had them on the whole time. God in the world saw them, and it wasn't until the yearbook photos come out at the end of the year that then the principal gets, I think it's a guy, you know, gets all upset about, no, yeah, it's a guy, gets gets all upset about that. Oh, this is terrible. Well, my question would be, where have you been all year? I mean, if this is really so offensive, and if this is this, this huge issue, maybe, you know, somewhere along the line when they're wearing their ID badges, somebody should come up and say something. But my guess is nobody 
nobody did because nobody was offended. Everybody thought, oh, it's the Spanish teacher that, that's, you know, dressed up in the admittedly, you know, stereotypical, um, you know, garb. But oh, give me a break. Ma- uh, Mark in Kenosha. Mark, you're on WTMJ. Hey, thanks for having me, Jeff. Hi, Mark. You know, I got to say, as a self-proclaimed liberal and progressive on a lot of things, this is making a mountain out of a molehill, mm-hmm. as the phrase goes, because right. there are so much more important real issues that yep. we should be focusing on. We've got a few eyeballs, and you're going to see that on either side of the aisle, that just want to get offended or upset about anything, yes. and it actually detracts away from the, the true issues that we face. And uh, yeah. and that's just a, a huge issue. Is no, Mark. Yeah, I, I'm with you entirely. Out. You know, regardless of your political opinion, you know, political side of the aisle. I, I, I th- th- your your point is absolutely 100 percent spot on. If you want to look at the issues of racism that face um, the Latino community, okay, that there, you, you could probably come up with 150 examples, and this wouldn't make the list, you know. And and yet this is what becomes the cause uh-huh. celeb, and everybody has to apologize, and it trivial realizes to me some of these real issues of racism that, that are out there when you get your undies in a bundle over silly stuff like this. Exactly. And I think the worst part about it is the the fact that someone is now offended or outraged by something, it's losing its value because right. people are starting to say, you know, they're offended by everything, so why should I even care? Yeah. We're no longer going to care when someone's upset by something, and that's the direction we're moving towards when we don't learn how to pick our battles, people. Mm. Like, come on, this is a small, minor thing. We have issues with my, uh, immigration, issues right. with health care, uh, <laughs> things that actually need our attention. Not somebody's badge because they're wearing a sombrero and a mustache. Right, and, and, right. Thanks to call. As part of of, as again, as part of this kind of, I mean, they're, they're trying to have fun with it. And I guess, you know, gee, we, we, we can't have fun. And I look, and I understand you can carry it too far. And if this was a different example and somebody said, well, how about blackface? No, I just don't liken this to, I don't liken this to blackface. I, I don't think, at least in this context, that that is an appropriate sort of thing. Well, uh, again, uh, the teachers are they're not going to be fired, but they are going to be counseled and effectively told, don't do this again. You know, I I made an exception to one of my rules. I have this rule that I never read comments to newspaper stories because they make you dumber. They just do. You read comments to these newspaper stories, and you can just feel your eye, your you know, your IQ getting lower. I mean, but I, I made an exception to this, and the story I've linked to is out of the San Diego newspaper, and I've got it linked to again. If you follow me on Twitter at Jeff Wagner six twenty, the link also includes access to the comments because I wanted to see what the comments were, and I will tell you, the vast majority of people commenting, they're also really. This this has become this cause celeb. This has become this huge story. Uh, can't we concentrate on the important stuff? That's a fair question. This is Jeff Wagner. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. A number of years ago, I was in Washington, D.C. over Memorial Day. And I happened to see this Rolling Thunder event. Gru, who's producing the show today and always, have you heard about Rolling Thunder? Okay, Rolling Thunder has been going on since the late 1980s. And every year since, uh, I think, like 1988, you have had motorcycle riders who have traveled to the nation's capital. 
and over the Memorial Day weekend, they roll into the district. Um, it's a demonstration in support of veterans and prisoners of war and service uh, members who are missing in action. Huge rally at the Pentagon. It, it draws several thousand people, and it's just it, it's, it is extremely impressive. It may be that the Rolling Thunder event that occurred over the weekend will be the last one. Now, President Trump, President Trump sends out a tweet uh, saying, no, 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 Rolling Thunder, the great patriots of Rolling Thunder will be coming back to Washington, D.C. next year and hopefully for many years to come. It's where they want to be and where they should be. Have a wonderful time today. Thank you to our great men and women of the Pentagon for working it out. Well, okay, that that's news to the organizers of Rolling Thunder and the Pentagon. Here's the deal. Again, Rolling Thunder stages their event at the Pentagon. The Pentagon, you know, you can't just go and, and have thousands and thousands of people, you know, show up for, for an event. There's security. There's, um, you know, porta potties. There's all sorts of stuff that goes into staging an event like this. And they estimate the costs for doing this are in the neighborhood of $200,000. So what, what happened is the organizers of Rolling Thunder, they said last year that, hey, this year was going to be the final one because it's gotten cost prohibitive. It's, it's two hundred grand to pay for all these different things. And because they're very, very active in veterans affairs and things like that, they just kind of say, hey, look, you know, it's costing too much money to stage this event. The permits that we have to get, the costs of security, the costs of the bathrooms, all this type of stuff. If we're going to spend $200,000, well, we, we can spend this better directed towards, I don't know, different veterans activities, things that more directly benefit the veterans that were, you know, in existence to help than showing up on the motorcycle ride at D.C. And they say as an alternative to descending on D.C., maybe moving forward, what we want to do is we want to stage, you know, rolling thunder events over Memorial Day weekend in various states. Now, they, they, they will draw perhaps fewer people, but they'll, they'll still draw crowds and get attention. Again, President Trump sends out this tweet saying, no, 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 I'm rolling thunder. We're going to work it out, and, and they're going to be back. Well, working it out means that you're not going to charge the, the, this veterans group what you would charge other groups to, to stage the, these events, which means that the taxpayers are going to be you know picking up the cost. Our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Like I say, President Trump sends out this tweet saying, oh, it's, it's all going to be worked out, and, you know, the, the bike riders are, are going to be back. And the organizers of Rolling Thunder say, well, you know, we're, you know, no, at least as far as we know, this, this is going to be, you know, the last year because, you know, we want to take this money and we want to spend it in a different fashion. And I think the people at the Pentagon are saying, well, this is kind of news to us too because, you know, these are what we have to charge and there's all these huge costs that are involved and security and all these different types of things. So the choice is really either the group decides that they're going to do events somewhere other than Washington, D.C., or you, you give them a substantial break, or you know, which probably means having the taxpayers pick up some of the cost. So let's tee this up. 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And if you have ever been to this Rolling Thunder event, like I say, I saw it once, and, and it's 
it's just incredible watching you know veterans you know who are also bike riders come from all over the country to participate it's been going on like i say for about 30 years and now the organizers are saying well we we think maybe you know the money can be better spent elsewhere how important is it to keep this event going and I guess the fundamental question is, does that mean the taxpayer should help underwrite the cost? Is, is it anti-veteran if you don't do this? Or is it just, okay, well, well, maybe it's time to, I don't know, have different events and maybe smaller events. 414-799-1620. I'll tell you where I come down on this in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. We'll be back to take your calls in just a moment. This is Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. Here's what President Trump should be doing. I have no problem with him sending out the tweet saying Rolling Thunder will be back. Here's what he should be doing. He should be on the phone, though, with whoever it is that he calls up at the Pentagon saying, you know what? We want this group here. Let's figure this out. You're charging him $200,000, mostly for parking lot rental and security. We have to be able to figure out a way to do this for less Let's make it work. Now, that would be something that would be constructive instead of, I mean, he sends out the tweet saying, oh, they're going to be back, which is news to the organizers, which is news to, again, the um, organizers, and it's news to the people at the Pentagon. But look, this has been something that's been going on for 30 years. I don't think people are tired of it. It is a wonderful show of support for veterans and for people who, the MIAs and their families and things like that. It would be a shame if this were to be discontinued and you know this is one where it seems to me that given all the money we spend on all sorts of different things you know we we can figure out a way to pick up the tab for the parking lot rental can't we 414-799-1620 patty and franklin patty you're on wtmj yeah just a thought president trump always donates his salary he may just and when he says we'll work something out means We'll talk about it. Obviously, it was a surprise to everybody, but he'll talk about it. He may donate. He believes in the veterans so much. He may donate that portion of his salary to fund that. He may personally put up the money, not necessarily coming from the taxpayers. Wouldn't that be a great gesture? I I would not put it past him. Yeah, that, I, I mean, really would not. I mean, yeah, you know, I mean, two hundred thousand dollars to the president is probably like about five bucks or two bucks well, to you and me. You know? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. No, I mean, absolutely. Thanks. Sir. I mean, that. See, now, look, I I think. I, and again, I, I've, I've saw I've seen this event once. I'm not a motorcycle rider. I saw this event once. I, I think it, it's it is a tremendous event. I would hate to see it end. Which isn't to say that I mean you you can't do similar things in different states and all that. I would hate to see this end. It has been a tradition for thirty plus years, and to to see it end over. $200,000. Now, don't roll your eyes at me. I understand $200,000 is a lot of money. I, I get that. But in the grand scheme of things, it is a drop in the bucket. And if the vast majority of this is we're talking about, well, you know, renting the parking lots at the Pentagon, for goodness sakes, or, you know, finding money to rent porta potties or whatever, this is something that, that it shouldn't, it isn't like we're trying to work out peace in the Middle East or, 
you know, trying to to solve the trade deficit with China or trying to figure out how to cause the the nutcase in in North Korea to uh, denuclearize. This is an easy one. Okay, it's a parking lot. It's some porta potties. It's some um, security. Um, either the Pentagon gives them a break, or actually, you know, maybe if if President Trump if President Trump wanted to do something that would I think require even the Washington Post and the New York Times to give him some good press, it would be. You know what? I'm going to write a check. I'm going to make these donations, and it's a nonprofit. It's a you know, it's a nonprofit group. You might even get a charitable donation on your taxes. That would be a wonderful, wonderful sort of surprise. But I would hate to see the thing end. And, and this is one where it seems to me that people need to kind of come together and make sure that this happens. All right, here's a text, Jeff. This absolutely needs to keep going to honor the veterans that lost their lives. Two hundred thousand dollars from the federal government's budget is decimal point um, or pennies on the dollar it, it absolutely you know it absolutely is so I'm thinking this is one where you know this is something the president can in fact accomplish and he can get it done and he will be a hero to at least certain groups so just saying Jeff Wagner on WTMJ <laughs> So very glad to have you with us. All right. My take on this is that you got to go with the parents and you got to honor the parents' wishes. Here is the the story. Um, Wisconsin has a law which says that grandparents who seek access to their grandchildren can get them even over the objections of the parents. And the Supreme Court just came out with a decision that kind of tries to define the standards that should be applied here. But but here's here's the deal and here's the case. What happens is there's a, a husband and wife who everybody acknowledges are good parents. This isn't a situation where it, it's an adoptive. It's a situation where there's abuse or anything like like that. It's not an abusive parent situation. What happens is mom and dad are good parents. They're grandmother in this particular case spent lots of time with the daughter when the and this would be the granddaughter when the granddaughter was younger including overnight stays as the daughter gets older and gets more involved in school and other activities the parents made the decision that they were going to have their daughter the grandmother's granddaughter, spend less time. You know, we she's got other stuff going on. She's not going to be able to see grandma as, as much. And they kind of dialed it back. Well, grandma says, well, here's the deal. Summer is coming along, and I want to take the grandchild on a vacation to Disney World. Okay? And the, the, moms, the, the mom and dad say, no, we, we don't want her going to Disney World with you. And it's not it's not that they think she's unfit or dangerous. It's just they they've decided now we, we don't want you taking our daughter, you know, on on this particular vacation. Grandma then goes to court and she sues and she says, wait, you know, I I you know, I want to take the child on this vacation. I should be able to do that. I've spent time with her. I'm a good grandparent. I want this quality time, and it shouldn't matter what mom and dad think. And you have a circuit court judge who went along with this and said, yep, daughter gets to go on the vacation. 
Well, this case has been, you know, working its way through the court. And last weekend, the last week, the Supreme Court came out and said, "No, that that that's not how that's not how it works, and that's not how it should work." You know, before you, Grandma, should be able to decide. You know, before a court should say, "No, the parents uh, don't have the right to deny." your ability to take somebody on this vacation, what the court has to decide is whether or not that decision, you can't go on vacation, is objectively unreasonable. Well, a couple of the Supreme Court justices said, well, you know what, we'd go further than that. And absent abuse, you know, we would hold that, you know, the courts shouldn't be interfering with the parental relationship. In other words, unless the grandparents can say that there's something that's going on, the parents are abusive or whatever, the parents should be the ones that have the right to decide, you know, what access the grandparents should have to their grandchildren. Our number is 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right. Now, this touches a lot of different situations. And again, I want to make it clear when we're discussing this, we're not going to talk about a situation where the parents are abusive. This isn't a one where, you know, the grandparents are coming in and saying dad's a drunk or mom's a drug dealer and the kid's not being treated well. And, and you know, we, we have to step in and try to, you know, make sure the kid is OK. This is a situation where for whatever reason, mom and dad decide that they don't want to allow their child to have contact or interaction with the grandparents. Should mom or dad be able to make that decision? 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I mean, I don't know. It could be for any one of a number of reasons. In this particular case, it, it kind of sounds like, you know, mom and dad just said, look, you know, the, the, the child's, our child's getting more and more active in other stuff, and, and we don't want her going off on a vacation. But what if it's a deal where, for whatever reason, you know, mom and dad don't get along with one or both sets of the grandparents? You know, should they have the right, and again, assuming they're not being abusive, should they have the right to say, you know what, we... You know, we've cut the cord where, for whatever reason, you know, we're not associating with these grandparents and we don't want the kids to. Should they have the right to do it? At least in a concurrence, two Wisconsin State Supreme Court justices say, yeah, that, that, that this law that says you have to balance all this and all, that it's unconstitutional, that it should be up to mom and dad. 414-799-1620. That's a, um, that's the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. And again, this is a difficult situation. And I, I can now kind of speak to this having, you know, got married a couple of years ago and after, you know, growing up and my entire adult life, I never had children, much less grandchildren. And now I've got, you know, two stepdaughters and their son-in-laws, nice, nice, great people. I love them all. And like four grandchildren that call me Papa Jeff. And I, I love it. And my wife is just as good a grandma as you could possibly imagine. And I, I like to think that we're close to all the, those kids. At the same time, I mean, I don't know if at some point in time, you know, parents decide we don't want the grandparents for whatever reason having contact. Should the courts override the will of the grandparents? 414-799-1620. Kelly in West Bend. Kelly, you're first. Hello. Hey, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Well, I'm very blessed to have a, a wonderful dad and, and wonderful in-laws that I love it right. when my, my kids can spend time with them. However, um, it's my decision if they spend time with their grandparents. It's not the grandparents. And where do you draw the line? 
if is it going to be aunts and uncles? Is it going to be a family friend? You can't just say, I'll hand my kids over to whomever and have it be okay with the court. Yeah, I guess I see. I that's where I come down on on this side too, Kelly. Again, we're, we're, again, we're, we're we're not talking about a situation where mom or dad are abusive or anything like that. So it's not a question of the safety of the kids. It's just a situation for whatever reasons, mom and dad have become ex- estranged from the grandparents or, or whatever. I think you know the, the presumption has to be that mom and dad they're they're the ones that get to make this call, and you hope that they're going to make the good call and the right call, but they're the ones that have to be able to make the call. Well, and I'm not sure if you mentioned anything about the relationship that the grandparent had with the grandchild, but maybe the grandchild doesn't want to go, and and the parents are just trying to make it easier on the grandchild by saying you don't have to go on this trip because we're going to make that decision for you. Right, right. I mean, you know, who who knows what? Right, who knows what the reasons are? But I just, I don't think a grandparent should be able to come in and say, "I know better than the parents." And here, I'm because I mean, at the end of the day, it's mom and dad who are, you know, responsible for the welfare of the child and the upbringing of the child. And you know, maybe maybe they're wrong if they're trying to deny the right for this kid to go on the vacation. But it certainly seems to me that they have that right to do it. You know, and you shouldn't be forced to give up your kid to go on a vacation to Disney World, no matter how well-intentioned Grandma is. Yeah, I, I agree. I don't understand the entire thing. <laughs> right, no, th- thanks for calling. And again, and I think that's going to be the reaction of, of most parents. I mean, most parents are going to be, gee, we're, we're thrilled to have Grandma and Grandpa around who can babysit and who can do all this stuff. And under normal circumstances, my guess is, They'd be thrilled to say, "Hey, you want to take uh, our daughter on? You want to take our daughter on a, on a on a vacation to Disney World? Go ahead." Now, obviously, there's something going on here, but for Grandma to try to force the courts to order this over the objection of the parents, I, I just I, I don't think that's right. Now, I you know, in a different sort of context, maybe if this was, gee, they're not going to let her see him at all, maybe that's a more compelling case. But you know, I don't think you have a right to take your kids to, you know, on a vacation, to take your grandkids on a vacation. Jeff, parents and grandparents have to work it out. Parents have to have the say, not the courts. 414-799-1620. We continue the conversation in just a moment. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. I just don't think a grandparent should be able to say over the objections of a parent, you know, I want time with my with your, with the grandchild. Now obviously, you know, in you, you hate for something like that to come to that situation, but you know, ultimately at the end of the day, it's the parents that have to decide how the child was going to be raised. Absent Again, absent evidence that mom and dad are doing something wrong. Here's some texts. Jeff, grandma needs to back off. She has no legal right to take the kid on vacation. She needs to respect the parents' wishes. The only thing that will come of this is less time with the granddaughter after the parents get sick of it. Well, yeah, I think that's probably a given. I'm trying. My guess is the grandmother um, and then mother, daughter or father. I don't know which side. I don't know if she's the. I don't know if she's the mother of the father or the mother in this case, but my guess is 
the, the relationship is probably irretrievably broken if you decide that I want to take my grandchild to Disney World. The parents say no, and my response is I'm going to sue. I'm going to sue you. <laughs> I'm going to sue my, my kid to get the right to take the kid to Disney World. My guess is um, that, well, that the relationship if it wasn't strained before, it's pretty close to strain now. That's a point a texter makes. Jeff, if there weren't issues between the grandparents and the parents before, I'm sure there are now, those grandparents must have some control issues. I know my parents wouldn't go through the time and effort to file a court case against me over this type of thing. That's what uh, Melissa says. And, you know, here's kind of a depressing text, but perhaps accurate. Jeff, children outgrow grandparents and aunts and uncles. It's hard to accept, but it happens. Well... I mean, I don't know if you ever outgrow, you know, your aunts and uncles. Now, my my nephew, Alex, I hope Alex never outgrows me, and my niece, Sydney, I hope she never outgrows me. But at the same time, I also appreciate that as they get older, they're, you know, they, they have other interests and other things to occupy their time. And maybe, you know, maybe when they're younger, a lot of stuff is based around family activities and things like that. And then once they get a little bit older, they get into sports. You know, they get into school. They start having their friends and stuff. And you have to realize that you know, maybe there's not, it's not that they've necessarily outgrown you, but maybe there's, you know, maybe there's a situation where they're, I, I don't know, they just don't have as much time for you. And I don't think you should be able to force that. That's just kind of the bottom line on this. Well, in any event, what happened in this particular case is the court says, no, Grandma, you don't have a right to take the kid on a vacation unless you can show it, the burdens on you to prove that the parent's decision was unreasonable. The larger question, though, is, I mean, should grandparents have any say at all? And I'm sure that's going to be an issue that gets decided by the Supreme Court sometime in the not-too-distant future. It's 152. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. All right. It was an interesting weekend for the Milwaukee Brewers. And the story comes from the world of sports, but it's got some of these larger issues as well. They're playing the Philadelphia Phillies at home on Saturday. There's an umpire behind home plate. His name is Mike Estabrook. He's been a major league umpire for about 10 or 11 years. He is generally regarded as one of the two or three worst umpires in major league baseball. But he, he's still umpiring. Now, Gru, did you happen to see this game at all? Okay. Well, what you did not. Okay. Well, what happens is early on in the game, uh, he throws out Ryan Braun. He calls a third strike on Ryan Braun on a pitch that was clearly not a strike. Braun says something to him. He gets tossed out. All right? You're not supposed to argue balls and strikes. All right. The Brewers fall behind. At this point in the game, it's the eighth inning. They're behind 5-2. to two. And they have a runner, I believe, on third base. Lorenzo Cain is at bat. And Christian Yelich, their MVP, he's he's on deck. All right? So this is a pivotal point in the game. Now, the, who knows what would have happened? But Lorenzo Cain, who is the center fielder, he, he's he's up at bat, and you, you've got you know you've got the the technology. You can see where these pitches are, and he gets the the count. He's got three balls on him. The pitcher throws the pitch. It, it's clearly outside, and and it's and by outside, it's not even close. And Lorenzo Cain goes to to walk, 
and they um, the, the umpire calls it a strike. Now it, it's missed the plate by, I, I mean, maybe not a foot, but it, it's clearly outside. You know, you've got the technology; you can go back see it. He, he's wrong. Okay, so so Kane, all right, goes back in, kind of shaking his head, and then what ends up happening is he gets called out on strikes with a pitch that is again clearly low, way, way, way low, and so he, he's called. You know, he, he ends up. Instead of walking, he, he ends up being out, and Christian Yelich never gets to bat. Now, again, you, you can't – I don't think it's fair to say that this this series of pitches, you know, cost the Brewers the game. And then Craig Council, he gets into an argument with the guy, and he gets tossed out. I don't think it's fair to say that they necessarily cost them the game. You don't know. But at the same time, this was a pivotal point in the game. You've got arguably the best player in the National League coming up with two guys on. Who knows what could have happened? But there's no question at all that this umpire, Mike Estabrook, got it wrong. And he didn't just get it wrong once. He got it wrong twice in a matter of a couple pitches. And he'd been getting it wrong all day. You mean lots and lots of pitches going wrong. Uh, matter of fact, the next day... He he threw out the Brewers' third baseman. He was coaching third. He was umpiring third base. He had one of these check swing calls, and he made the wrong call on that one, and he threw out Mike Mustakis on that. So this is is not a good umpire. Interestingly enough, after the game, everybody's pretty much saying, well, if you look at this, he clearly missed call after call after call. He doesn't come out to talk to people. The head of the of the umpiring crew says, well, you know, we get judged by our job and people look at this, and, and that's all that they had to to say. So you have a situation where this obviously, or at least could have, changed the game, and it's a series of unquestionably bad calls. So you go back and you pull up this Mike Estabrook's record, and apparently last year he had the lowest – the, uh, by, let me see. Let me get it the right way. When you look at bad ball strike calls, he had the highest rate of bad ball strike calls. He was um, correct on like 86% of the time, which means he was wrong 14% of the time. Let me put this in perspective. If you hired a contractor to do work at your house and, you know, that contractor was wrong 14% of the time, hey, you probably wouldn't hire him and wouldn't recommend him. If you went to a, a restaurant and, you know, 14% of the time the waiter got your order wrong, you, you'd probably be upset about that. It's a big percentage. And so the guy's not very good at his job. And for whatever reason, Major League Baseball continues to keep him and a couple others, you know, employed. All right. So that's kind of the background on this. Here's where I want to go with this conversation. I understand that I understand that mistakes are part of the game and things like that and you're told, well, you know, we just we just have to accept the fact that you're going to have some guys who are losers like this Mike Esterbrook. But my question is this. Given that the technology exists to get it right, aren't these bad umpires the justification for simply using computers to do it. Matter of fact, I, I on my on my uh, I sent this out on Twitter. I've got a link to a story. In a couple of the minor leagues, they are trying out technology right now to call balls and strikes. And they set up that zone that you see on TV. And what happens is you still have an umpire behind home plate, but the umpire is told what call to make. The computer makes the call. The computer says whether it's a strike or a ball. 
the umpires can, in limited conditions, overrule the computer because theoretically, for example, it's possible that the ball could bounce in front of the plate, you know, bounce up into the strike zone and be called a strike because the computer doesn't know that the balls hit the dirt or anything. But absent those rare situations, everything would be done by computer. Now, you'd still have somebody behind home plate, but like I say, all the umpire is doing is simply relaying the information that's been made by the decision that's been made by the computer. No arguments, just kind of like the replay. You know, it, the, it's out there. You see it. You end up getting it right. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I have to admit this, and this comes from my perspective as a baseball fan. It drives me crazy, these inconsistent strike zones, these out – Look, and I understand umpiring is a tough job, sort of, kind of. But the fact that, you know, you're going to accept getting something wrong 15 or 14 percent of the time strikes me as being absolutely appalling. So baseball aficionados, what do you think about just simply saying, "Okay, we're going to go computerized? The technology exists. We're going to use it and we're going to take it out of the hands of of those bad umpires that on occasion could affect games. Again, I'm not saying that the Brewers would have gone on to win the game on Saturday. I I don't know. You can't go back and replay it. But I know that they were the victim of a series of bad calls by an umpire who at least on Saturday was incompetent. So what about a machine to make those calls? If the technology exists, why wouldn't we use it? 414-799-1620. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. My answer is, you know, maybe it's time to do it. As long as you're convinced the technology can be reliable, other sports use this. Why shouldn't baseball? 414-799-1620. Is it time to replace umpires with the technology that's already there? What do you think? We discuss in just a moment. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Okay, let's go to a couple texts before we start taking calls. Jeff, do you really want everything called perfectly by a camera and a computer? The game will drag out even longer. Well, yes, I I, I want accuracy. Yes, I, I want everything called perfectly, and I, I don't know that it necessarily drags anything out. You know, that in this particular case, they've got the computer thing that's set up behind home plate. Comes in, the computer makes the call. It says ball or it says strike, and then the umpire standing behind the plate, he he makes the call. I mean, it's just kind of all instantaneous. Uh, let's see, Jeff. The strikes were an issue yet, yes, but I feel the umpire was the aggressor in both situations where people were thrown out. To me, that's even worse. This is a bad umpire who needs to go. Jeff, I was at the game. As horrible as Esterbrook's call was, the drama and the inconsistency of human error has always added interest to me as a baseball fan. I know it drives the players and managers crazy, but I've always found a certain allure to it. All right, so I get that. That's an interesting point to me. Would you rather have accuracy? Or would you say, okay, well, we know that there's going to be, in this case, bad umpires that Major League Baseball apparently doesn't get rid of. We know that there's going to be umpires that have short fuses that aren't any good and are going to throw out players and maybe affect the games. Do we want to put up with that? I guess my response would be, yeah, I, I understand. I understand the drama of human error, but to me that's 
okay, the shortstop booted a ground ball. It's not an umpire misses a series of calls when the technology exists to get it right. 414-799-1620. Let's start with, uh, let's see. Let's start with Mary Jo in Sheboygan. Mary Jo, you're on WTMJ. Hi. Hi. Thanks for taking the call. Sure. Just want to comment. Um, I have I'm an avid baseball fan, watched all my life. Um, and I haven't heard this, you know, and usually I hear things, but I think it's an excellent idea. You know, instant replay has helped all sports get the right calls. Um, you're never going to take the human emotion out of it, so why not bring in more things to make it right? That's how I feel about the situation, and, and I think it would be excellent if we could get something like that. Well, I guess I, I look at it and say if you – if the technology if the technology exists and that this is this is my premise that the technology exists to get it right now now maybe you you want to say oh they don't have it ready yet you know i mean it hasn't advanced to that stage and that's a different discussion but i guess i'm so I'm with you if the technology exists so that you could get it right so you could know that the balls and strikes are going to be called accurately why wouldn't why wouldn't we do that exactly yeah, no, I mean, thanks for the call. And again, I, I understand the whole human element and the bad calls and things like that. But if you can remove them from the game, why why wouldn't you do that? Now, you, you might say to me, and I guess I'd, I'd have to see this in practice, you know, because I'm the guy that says baseball games, you know, drag on way too long. And I'm a huge baseball fan. So, I mean, you'd have to show me how this is going to work in practice. And if you would say, okay, Jeff, you could put this in, but it's going to add an extra 30 minutes to the game. Well, then I'd say, okay, let, let's live with the bad umpires. Let's live with the Mike Estabrooks of the world because I, I can't sit there for an extra 30 minutes. But if that's not the case, why why wouldn't you be accurate with this if you've got that stuff that's there? Um, let's talk to Dave in Milwaukee. Dave, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Dave. Um, I love the Brewers. I love watching baseball, but I like watching it mostly at home where I can almost be like the pitcher and see the pitches coming in. Right. And you kind of took the key word away from me, accuracy. I love watching accurate calls on pitches. It drives me nuts when... You know, and it's it's also a perspective of the pitcher. Is the pitcher being treated fairly? Sure. Oh yeah, it can go uh, it can go both ways. I mean, it, uh, yep. in the game on Saturday, it, it's clear. I mean, and look, take nothing away. Jake Arrieta was pitching; he was having a great game. But it's clear that this umpire was calling strikes that weren't strikes, and you know, and and so it makes it a lot easier when you've got somebody who's who's wrong time and time again. And this guy is wrong fifteen percent of the time, which begs the question of how can you be wrong fifteen percent of the time in that job and still keep your job? Exactly, you know, and it's uh, it kind of dilutes the integrity of the game when you have the officiating crew making bad calls right. one after another. Okay, Dave, now, now let me share a text with you because I want your reaction to this, okay? Jeff, ever since they instituted replay, I think the game is not as fun. I actually enjoyed the arguments that occurred on the field. It was part of the entertainment. That's what the texter says. Well, I mean, it's... Everybody finds their own perspective of enjoyment with anything. Um, you know, it's just that I'm, I'm, my emphasis is on the integrity of the game, yeah. whereas another person may enjoy, 
you know, it's like people that watch NASCAR. Some people watch NASCAR just because they want to see the crashes. Yeah, yeah. No, I no. Thanks. No, for, no I no. I understand. No. Um. I, thanks for calling. No. I, that that's the perspective. No. Look. I mean, I remember when I was a kid growing up. I remember some of the umpires, the the Billy Martins or the the Earl Weavers who managed Baltimore, and these guys. I mean, they they'd go out and you know they, they you'd get you'd get nose to nose with the umpire and there'd be screaming and spitting and it was. I mean, and I do acknowledge that it was an entertain it was a bit of a spectacle and that spectacle has by and large been gone but I guess the question is do you do you trade accuracy for that bill in oshkosh bill you're on wtmj hello uh hi jeff hi bill um i i should probably preface my comments by uh i'm an umpire okay. i've been umpiring for 40 years um had a, had a little issue with uh, how you laid out the the game with uh, Braun's strikeout. Um, he, the first the first strike was uh, actually hit the outside corner. Was well, let's talk about Kane. The Kane, Kane was the one that created all the problem. You you will agree with me that the guy was wrong on Kane, right? I didn't see it, but uh, from all I've been told, absolutely. Okay. Okay. So. Um, so let, let's, I mean, where are you, why wouldn't we want to get it right if we had technology that let you get it right? Uh, I, I just believe that it's, uh, uh, that it's the human factor. It's all part of the, you know, part of the, part of the game. Um, boy, the umpires are awful good, and uh, if those are your statistics, I don't question your statistics on that particular umpire, but... Um, boy, they sure they sure get them right most of the time. Well, but at the, okay, but at the same time, most of them aren't controversial. I mean, they're you know, I mean, m- most of them, most of them, you're you're going to get right because they're they're not the, those bang bang type of plays. I mean, I guess, do it, do, would you agree with me that fifteen percent, if if those numbers are correct, and that's what I'm told the numbers are on this guy, that that that's an unacceptably high level, missing like fifteen percent of the pitches. Uh, absolutely. Okay. All right. No. Th- thanks, God. I mean, I guess. I, I guess. I mean, the the other and a couple texts that are coming in are saying, okay, well, what you need to do is you need to drop the bad umpires. You know, you need to get rid of the, you know, the the Joe Wests and the Angel Hernandez and the, the Mike Estabrooks of, of the world. And and I guess maybe maybe that's the case. But again, I go back to the basic premise that that I have, which is. If you've got the technology, and and they're trying it out, like I say, in the minor leagues, and and maybe it's not perfected yet. I I don't take a position on that. But you know it's going to be perfected at some point in time. We were talking earlier about soccer. English Premier League, they they use, and and most of the European soccer leagues, they use this, this technology now that can tell you whether the ball crossed the line of the goal. So instead of having these arguments about, you know, did it get, Pass and in soccer, it has to go all the way into the goal. It has to cross the line in front of the goal entirely. And and sometimes that's a decision that's you know you've got one referee, nobody's in a great position to make it. The technology does that. Tennis. Now I'm not a huge tennis fan, but you watch a lot of these tennis tournaments. They've got the technology that can tell you exactly where the ball landed. Did it hit the line? Did it miss the line? And they're starting to use that now. And I guess I go back to the basic premise. If we want to get it right, you know, why Why not once the technology comes along, and maybe it's not going to be there this year, but maybe it's going to be there next year or the year after that, why wouldn't we use it? This is Jeff Wagner. Back for more, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 
really touched a nerve with that last conversation about replacing bad home plate umpires with technology. If you want to see how how this would work, um, I've got a link to a story. If you follow me on Twitter, at Jeff Wagner 620 I, actually, I went on kind of a tweet storm myself with some of the stories that I want to end up talking about or we have talked about. But um, th- there, there's a story about how they are trying out this technology in one of the minor leagues, and, and you can see how it, it ultimately works. I Even if, if it needs to be tweaked, and, and maybe that's the case, it seems to me that this is the wave of the future. And I, I for the life of me, if you know, if, if you're if you're playing a sport, particularly a professional sport, where there's a ton of money on the line, where where games matter and performance matters and getting it right matters, it would seem to me that if you've got technology there that makes sure that you're going to get it right, I have no idea why you wouldn't take advantage of that. But again, that's just me. All right. Um, I was off yesterday, but late last week, maybe it was Friday, I think after the show, I, I saw there was a really interesting column. Um, Jim Stingle, who's one of the community columnists for the Journal Sentinel, um, he, he had this, this piece about this couple. Um, they're both, they are 80 years old. Their names are um, Ilonia, or Leo, Ionia and Roger Stank, okay, S-T-A-N-K. Um, they are hoarders. Matter of fact, maybe you saw this. They were featured on that that show that's on A and E. Um, that's called Hoarders, and apparently the Hoarders that the TV this was filmed in September of 2016, and they went and looked at this this duplex that the couple owns um, on South 55th Street, right north North 53rd Street. And the TV show comes out there, and the idea if you ever seen Hoarders, you know Hoarders are people who just obsessively collect stuff and never get rid of it, and ultimately it kind of overwhelms them. So the premise behind the TV show is you come out, they identify these hoarders, they, they show it, and then they help, help them clean it out. That's the, the premise. Well, the TV show comes out in September of 2016, and this duplex the couple owns is just a nightmare. I mean, it's... It's full to the brim with with crap. Um, this is the way the column describes it. Um, it's all the toys that entertain their two sons now long grown. The papers and magazines and food packaging and garbage that most of us toss out. Old clothes and knickknacks and perceived treasures. Boxes and boxes of who knows what floor to ceiling room after room. So the, the hoarders people come out to do this TV show, and th- then they start trying to help the couple clear it out, and the lady refuses. I mean, she, you know, gets mad at the hoarders people, and she ultimately decides that, you know, she's not, she's not going to do it. Um, they stay away from the house, says to the people, you guys are making me look really bad. All right, so, all right, they, they refuse to clean this out. And the stuff has been like this, you know, obviously for years before this, but now it's been like this since, you know, everybody knows about it since December of 2016. Okay, so the city comes in, and the city is concerned about, obviously, all these issues. This place is a fire hazard. They're concerned about uh, rodent infestations. They're concerned about all sorts of things. And so the city tries to work with this couple to get them to clean out the stuff, and, and they haven't. 
Now, will they do it at some point in time in the future? Well, who knows? But if the past is any indication of the future, the answer is no. So this house is just a, a nightmare. Now, they also have a duplex that they are apparently living in um, elsewhere, and according to them, that they're, they're not hoarding at the duplex. But the house is just a, a disaster. And so what's happened is the city has come in and they've, they've issued a raise, R-A-Z-E, tear it down, a raise order. And now the, the point of the story is the couple saying, hey, you know, this isn't fair. The inspector is evil. He's out to get it. Get us. You know, we should have, you know, we should have more time, um, et cetera, et cetera. You shouldn't tear down this house. Our number, 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Look, I I understand and appreciate that this hoarding is is a mental situation. It's a psychological situation. And people who are, are hoarders, I think, you know, suffer from psychological problems, not unlike a lot of other people who suffer from different psychological problems. So I, I understand that. At the same time, I think the city has a right to say, you know, this is a condition that's been going on for years. Everybody knows the situation has been going on for years. For God's sake, you were on TV with this, and the TV people who wanted to help, you know, they weren't allowed to do it. I think the city has every right, after exhausting other options, to simply say, look, you're not going to clean out this house. We have no other choice but to order the thing torn down. Our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I mean, all I know is I wouldn't want to live in, in a neighborhood. I wouldn't want to live next door or across the street or three houses down from a house that was filled floor to ceiling with crap. And I, I don't know how else to say it. I just, I wouldn't want to live like, I would be afraid that it was attracting you know, rodents and parasites. I would be afraid that if a fire broke out, you know, then you're going to have a, a major league problem. I think the city has to come in from time to time and mental condition or not, if the house is not habitable because it's full of junk, you know, floor to ceiling, magazines and newspapers and garbage and boxes that nobody knows what's in them and they've been there for 25 or 30 years. Yeah, I, I think I don't think the city is the bad guy for saying, boom, the house has to come down. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, this is an extreme situation, but over the course of my lifetime, I have known not intimately, but I have known people for whom th- this was a problem or it was a problem with relatives and stuff. And it's a heartbreaking situation. It, it is. But at some point in time, if you if you can't get somebody to clean it, and it, I mean, it's one. It's either to say, "Look, we're going to condemn this property," and either you know you gotta you gotta let somebody come in and just empty it. Or you have to say, we got no choice but to tear it down. And my guess is that that ship sailed a few years ago when people wanted to help out, and the owners refused to do it. Mike on the northwest side. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Hi, good afternoon, Jeff. Hi, Mike. Yeah, I agree that the city should raise the property. These people have had ample opportunities to clean it up or whatever, and they haven't. It brings down property value. It takes down the neighborhood value, and it, you know, it's a health hazard. Yeah, I mean, right, on, on all these different levels. And, again, I, 
I, I am a, to me this is an extreme sort of thing, you know. But but obviously, if the place has been on television, the TV show Hoarders, and they walked away in frustration, that tells you. I mean, I I, I, feel, I don't say this very often, Mike, but I'm feeling sorry for the city health inspector, whoever's dealing with this. He's like, hey, you know, we want this thing cleaned up, but if you're not going to clean it up, and you've had years to do it, we got no choice but to tear the thing down. Put on a hazmat suit to go in. Right, right. I mean, thanks for calling. I mean, again, I, I think this is one. I mean, I, I, to use an analogy, it's kind of like protecting the the field. You you have. It's not just. This is a situation where your place doesn't just affect you know you. It affects other neighbors. It affects the neighborhood. It affects a quality of life type of thing, and it presents a public safety risk. Let's talk to Susie in Wauwatosa. Susie, you're in WTMJ. Jeff, I totally agree with you 100%. I would not want to live next to that and everything that comes with it. There's got to be some smell. There's got to be, I love having my windows open the minute I can. We're, right. We live in Wisconsin where our windows are closed, you know, seven months out of the year. When it's nice, I want my windows open. Right. I don't want to have to worry about smell and rodents and everything that potentially comes with that. So the city gets to take over, I say. Right. Well, and it's and of course they're not even li- the the owners. They're not even living there. They're living somewhere else. So I mean, I'm trying to imagine. You know, you're you're in a a residential neighborhood. You know the place across the street or down the block or whatever. You know it is in this uninhabitable condition, and you also know that it's vacant. Well, I mean, Lord knows what's that's going to attract. You know, you it's it's an, if it's not livable, seems to me what you do is you give the people a reasonable opportunity to make sure it's livable, and if they don't for whatever reason, well then you got to do what you got to do, and if that means tearing it down, you tear it down. Yep, agreed. <laughs> Just like Northridge. Well, right, no, right. Yeah, th- yeah, exactly. I mean, thanks for calling. That that's a good point. You know, the city has gotten to the point with Northridge, and we talked about that last week and a couple weeks ago, where that that huge mall, as unthinkable as this is for those of us who grew up going to Northridge in the you know the late seventies and the eighties and even the early nineties, as unthinkable as this is, I mean, the place has been vacant. Nobody's put any money in it. It is deteriorated. The roof's leaking. You've got people that are breaking in and stealing copper pipe and anything else that's left to go. The, the thing is a health hazard. It's a safety hazard. And if the owners aren't willing and they haven't been willing to step up and do what it takes to, you know, again, turn it into something, well, you just can't let it sit there. And again, I mean, clearly, the, the, this 80-year-old couple, clearly they have mental health issues. I, I understand that. I'm not unsympathetic to it. But you that's not an excuse for just letting something deteriorate to the point that it poses a risk to everyone else. This is Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us, Cruz, producing the show today. Okay, I'm going to give you my honest reaction to a story. You can tell me, am I a horrible person for what I'm about to say? Here's the story from the Journal Sentinel. Notorious crime figure Jolly shot to death on Milwaukee's north side. LZ Jolly Jr., one of Milwaukee's most notorious crime figures, known for beating numerous felony charges, including one for homicide, was shot to death during a fight outside a north side tavern. 
Jolly was shot shortly before 11.30 p.m. last Thursday in the 2500 block of West Hopkins. Jolly was one of Milwaukee's most wanted fugitives for nearly three years after he and others were charged in a fatal drug-related shooting. He had been arrested at least 17 times on suspicion of murder, shootings, carrying guns, dealing drugs, and other crimes. Most of the charges were dismissed. Now, let me read between the lines. They're dismissed because witnesses did not show up. That would be my guess as to why. All right, so he's in this fight. He ends up getting shot. Um, Jolly had faced life in prison after being charged in connection with the fatal shooting of James Reese, 51, in a drug house in 2005. He eventually agreed to an Alford plea to a charge of recklessly endangering safety and was sentenced to 16 months behind bars, time he already served in jail awaiting trial plus five years probation. In an Alford plea, a defendant admits there was enough evidence for conviction but is also allowed to maintain his innocence i go back to the arrested at least 17 times on suspicion of murder shootings carrying guns dealing drugs and other crimes all right so he shot dead in a fight now i am sorry as a general rule i hate to see the loss of human life but i will say this um yeah you know i read this particular story and i wonder is the community a better place with this guy in it or with him gone. And it's unfortunate that he met his demise in this fashion, but you know what? There's certain lifestyles that if you choose them, if you choose these lifestyles, well, th- this is one of the occupational hazards. And it seems to me that this gentleman chose that lifestyle and at the end of the day, at the end of his life, he learned that karma can be a you know what. Does that make me a horrible person there, Gru? You're shaking your head no. Now, if if I'm going to you know where, it's not because of that. All right, when we come back, we're going to find out what John McCure has on his mind for Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Please stick around.